Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Econ Americas podcast, where every month we share under the radar investment opportunities from countries across our big continent, North America, Central America, and South America. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we're all on the major podcast platforms, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, you name it. And if it's this the first time you are watching this show, uh, Econ Americas is a startup research firm that provides economic intelligence. And you can learn more about us and our services at EconAmericas.com. I am Daniel Duarte, editor at Econ Americas, hailing from Asuncion, Paraguay. And today we'll be discussing the largest and most populated country in all of Latin America, of course, Brazil. I'm joined by Mauricio Bento. He's an economist with a master's degree from Francisco Marroquin University in Guatemala. He has experience in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors in Brazil, the U.S. And he is working currently at the Sao Paulo Court of Accounts and at the Property Rights Alliance. Mauricio, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Daniel, for the invitation. Thank you, Paula, too, that reached out to me. Uh, it's a pleasure to contribute to Economericas again. Great, Mauricio. And we usually start our conversations by getting our listeners up to speed on the country we are covering. And can you please tell us a brief summary of the state of Brazil's economy? And well, the pandemic is ongoing, of course, and the political situation between the executive and the other branches of governments, because uh, when browsing the news, we still uh, see news reports that it's still a, a, a tense situation. Sure, sure. Uh, Brazil was hit hard by the pandemic, Daniel, uh, especially because our economy was already not in good shape prior to the COVID-19. Uh, unemployment was high, over 10%. GDP growth was merely a little over 1% a year from 2017 to 2019 after a huge drop in 2016 and 17. So the economy was already not good, was already not well, and then the COVID hit. GDP uh, decreased uh, over 4% last year, but still not as bad as many had uh, foreseen, like the IMF and other international organizations. So Brazil did quite well, uh, although it spent too much. Uh, it spent more than other Latin American and developing countries. Uh, the good news, on the other hand, is that vaccination is fast. Uh, it's uh, more or less already uh, around 80% of the population with vaccines so far. Uh, Brazil surpassed uh, the United States, so vaccination is fast. The economy is uh, open again, and uh, bars, restaurants, everything is open again. So things are moving uh, faster right now. But uh, regarding the second part of your question, Daniel, uh, the situation among uh, uh, the executive uh, legislative branch and also the judiciary branch. When Bolsonaro got elected in 2019, he promised uh, many reforms, but his relationship with Congress was not good. So of course, Congress needs to pass most of the reforms. The executive cannot do things alone. So he uh, proposed many things to Congress, but he had a bad relationship with the president of the Chamber of Deputies, Rodrigo Maia. So he wasn't able to pass many of the reforms, just uh, a few minor ones. 
except by the pension reform that we will certainly talk about next. So he had a bad relationship with Rodrigo Maia. So his agenda was not uh, uh, pushing fat, fat forward fast enough in 2019 and 2020. But then in 2021, he fixed that problem by having a, a good relationship with Arthur Lira and Rodrigo Pacheco. Arthur Lira is the new president of the Chamber of Deputies and Rodrigo Pacheco is the new president of the Senate. So Bolsonaro has now a good relationship with Congress, with those two people. Are they from new parties than Rodrigo Maia or are they from the same parties? Yes, they are from different parties from Rodrigo Maia. They are from a, a coalition called Centrão, which is a large coalition uh, that is it's not exactly a party and they don't exactly have ideology. They are... Uh, most of the Congress, most of congressmen, they only uh, want to, to, to have power over the budget, mostly. It's not very, they're not very ideological. But they are supporting the president's agenda. They are sharing power with uh, uh, the president because also the president needs to give them something in return, which is power over the budget. So they share power. Uh, so right now, 2021, many, many of the president's agenda is moving forward, especially the economic agenda. In terms of uh, the economy, good news are ahead. Uh, many of many good reforms are passing, fiscal reforms, regulatory reforms, privatizations. So things are moving uh, forward now, thanks to this good relationship with Congress. With the other branch, the judiciary, things are really bad. Bolsonaro goes to the media and says bad things about the ministers of the Supreme Court. And then the ministers of the Supreme Court go to the media and say bad things about Bolsonaro. And uh, things have scaled up, up up until Bolsonaro proposed the impeachment of one of the ministers of the Supreme Court, Minister uh, uh, Alexandre de Moraes, past week. So their relationship is really bad. And uh, the Supreme Court in Brazil is really powerful. They can do almost anything. They can like veto laws. And, and even nowadays, they even edit laws, like a law passed in Congress, and they say what part of the law will work and which part of the law will not work. So they really have a lot of power. So having ministers of the Supreme Court as your enemy is not positive. So. Things uh, are going bad for Bolsonaro in that in that side. And what about his relationship with uh, governors and state uh, legislators? Because many readers uh, may may not know that Brazil is a federal system like the U.S. Similar in many ways. So there had been some uh, tensions between the Sao Paulo governor where you are now and, and, and the, the, the federal government, is that resolved or is, is that still a, an ongoing issue? Yeah, that's very, very uh, uh, well pointed, Daniel. Uh, Sao Paulo is the largest state in Brazil, the most populous and, the, and uh, uh, a third of Brazilian GDP comes from Sao Paulo. So the governor of Sao Paulo is usually pretty powerful politically too. And our governor here, uh, João Doria, is a contender for the presidency. He wants to run for president next year. So he has uh, opposed almost everything that Bolsonaro does. And I think that uh, he will run for president if, he, if his party gives him the nomination. 
so a few governors of large states that usually can have some kind of, of national appeal are opposing Bolsonaro. So this is another, another problem that he has been having politically. Governors from Sao Paulo, Rio Grande do Sul, prior from Rio de Janeiro, but the Rio de Janeiro government uh, left office, so he's not a problem anymore. But mostly I would say these two governors from uh, Sao Paulo and Rio Grande do Sul the good, the good news for Bolsonaro is both are from the same party, so they are also clashing each other for the nomination. Yeah, the presidential race is heating up, and even you know, yeah. former President Lula da Silva is uh, you know is ex expected to be among the, the the highest contenders. Yeah, and and Lula just just good, well pointed. Lula will will run next year, and thanks to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court nullified his sentence. Lula had a, uh, was sentenced to, to years and years in prison. And he was uh, in prison until the Supreme Court liberated him and nullified his sentences. So Lula will, will not be able to run as he was uh, sentenced and in prison, but now he will run thanks to the Supreme Court. Unless, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, unless he's convicted on other cases that are still pending, yeah, but but it, that is very unlikely because uh, he would need to be uh, found guilty twice in the same case up until like July next year. And we know that uh, our judiciary, although they are very well paid, they're not very fast. So this is very unlikely, although it's certainly possible. Yeah, the timing had uh, would have to be very uh, precise. And, and let's talk about Bolsonaro's privatization agenda. As you mentioned, he promised to privatize uh, maybe um, it was like a hundred companies when he came into office and he put uh, a very free market oriented economist as a finance minister. And he also had this plan to privatize many companies in Brazil, the federal government has many, many companies across uh, very um, a wider array of industries. How much of that agenda has he been able to accomplish? I know uh, he has, well, the government has optioned off many airports, but uh, I don't know if there are other large companies that are still uh, on that list. Yeah, actually, the, the, there, there is a free market part of the Bolsonaro coalition led by Minister Paulo Guedes, Minister of the Economy. And uh, Paulo Guedes already uh, talked about this. If he could, he would privatize everything. But there are other politicians that are against uh, privatization. There are other parts of the Bolsonaro coalition that are against privatizations. So privatizations in terms of like selling state-owned companies are not moving very fast. But as you mentioned, the, the airports, uh, other uh, infrastructure projects are moving quite fast, like ports, airports, roads, railroads. So there are many opportunities for investments in uh, infrastructure because uh, not only the federal government, but also state governments are pro partnerships with the private sector. So uh, in terms of airports, ports, railroads, roads, all, all those, uh, the governments can uh, sign a contract of 30, 35 years. So it's really good. And the judiciary also 
pro this so these contracts are are safe right now pretty good uh, opportunities and they are already have they are ha happening since the 1990s so now uh, this market is very uh, mature and regu regulations are are good and uh, and even uh, becoming better because uh, right now everybody wants more investments in infrastructure also foreign investments so regulations are becoming more uh, uh, friendly to to private investments so i would say that this infrastructure sector is friendly for the private sector on the other hand uh, the selling of state-owned companies are not moving fast the government was only able to privatize electrobras this year in 2000 2021, because of, of that that I mentioned previously, that uh, now Bolsonaro has a good relationship with Arthur Lira and Rodrigo Pacheco, the, uh, the presidents of Congress, and now uh, uh, he was able to privatize Electrobras. It was a good move because Electrobras was the was the largest electricity company in the country. It was a national company. Uh, it, uh, it provided uh, electricity for millions and dozens of millions of people. So it was a very large company. So pretty good privatization, but only one. There are others that are not moving fast. On October 13, Panama became the first Central American nation to legalize cannabis in any form. The bill that President Curtis was signing to law marked the end of a four-year campaign by doctors, patients, and legislators who have extolled the plant's medical properties to treat chronic and painful diseases. Panama will set up a regulatory framework to allow the controlled use of cannabis for therapeutic, medical, veterinary, and research purposes. However, the law remains restrictive. The country will determine specific areas for marijuana crop with permanent surveillance. Growing cannabis without a permit will be heavily punished with up to 15 years in prison. The law also bans licenses from selling online products and making home deliveries, and the government will keep a registry of those allowed to consume cannabis derivatives. Two types of licenses will be available, one for scientific research and other for production and commerce. However, the government will only grant seven commercial licenses during the first five years to monitor the industry's development. Medical marijuana is a victory for patients, farmers and export-oriented manufacturing industries. Nevertheless, prohibitive barriers to entry remain in the law, including an explicit cartel. According to Bloomberg, the legal medical cannabis industry will grow to $13 billion in Latin America by 2028. Due to its strategic location and proximity to North America, Panama has the potential to become a leading industry player. For Raymond Harari, founder of the investment management firm Canalis Capital, Panama could import the commodity, develop all extraction and purification processes in the country, and export it to the world. To learn more about licenses, requirements, and provisions for medical cannabis growth, trade, and research, 
Check out our background work on the topic and keep tuned to econamericas.com for more information on medical cannabis industry in Latin America. And of course, it was just one area of reforms among the many that Brazil needed to undertake. And here at Equine Americas, we have published a couple of articles on those. In fact, you wrote a piece for us back in 2019 about uh, the pension reform, which you tell me passed. I don't know if, if, if it passed in the form that the um, those who were pushing that reform wanted it to pass. Um, what can you tell us about the, the key changes and why was it so important? The pension reform was really important, Daniel. Uh, it was one of the most important uh, uh, fiscal reforms for two reasons, mostly. First, for this merely fiscal reason, because uh, uh, it was a, a, a bond that would uh, uh, be very critical for the public finances. And if the government didn't pass the pension reform in 2019, it wouldn't have money for, for anything right now, especially after COVID. But on the other hand, there was also the problem of justice, because some uh, government employees had very large payments, some of them up to $100,000 a month. So really insane, insane. Actually, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a $100,000 a year, sorry. Uh, it's because normally here in Brazil, we talk about uh, uh, salaries in month, month, monthly salaries, not uh, yearly salaries, but uh, it's $100,000 a year, of course. So, but anyway, anyway, uh, in a country with uh, like $10,000 GDP per capita, you pay $100,000 for a public employee as pension, it was very, very high. And of course, only government employees had that uh, privilege. Uh, private sector employees didn't have that. So it was a privilege that was ended. And uh, so the pension reform had these two sides uh, that needed to be taken into account the fiscal side and the justice side. And it was a very good reform. Uh, it was not 100% of what Paulo Guedes wanted, of what people that wanted the reform uh, proposed, but uh, it was like fair enough. Uh, this privilege was, was were cut. The, there was the implementing of a minimum age of retirement that didn't exist in Brazil prior. So some of those people that get, uh, they used to, used to get uh, over 100K a year in, in pension, some of them got that prior uh, at the age of 50 something. They were in their 50s and they were able to get that pension because there, were, there was not a minimum age of retirement. Now that, that age exists, 65 for men and 62 for women. So uh, this was the main issue of the, the reform. Pretty simple thing, but was very tough because many of the people that retired early wanted to keep that privilege of course yeah and and we can say that the major bomb has been averted now so it's on a sustainable path yes exactly pension payment now are on a sustainable path definitely and what about tax reform i still read that it hasn't passed and although it was 
Many parties agreed that there had to be a, a tax reform, but still um, there are some contentions and it still hasn't passed Congress yet. So what are the main disagreements and what provisions do you think will end up passing? First, first of all, our tax system is very complex, Daniel. It's one of the most complex and bureaucratic tax systems in the world. Uh, the Brazilian tax code imposes a huge burden on companies and investors. And it was a priority of Minister Paulo Guedes in 2019. He said that he would push for tax reform uh, just after the pension reform that was about to, to explode the, the, the fiscal uh, payments. So tax reform was a priority. But then COVID came and COVID became the priority, right? So uh, the tax reform uh, debate was stopped earlier in 2020, like March 2020. But now it's coming back. So now we we have been seeing uh, Paulo Guedes talking about it, uh, members of Congress talking about it, uh, President Bolsonaro talking about it. So it seems that it's coming back and it's going to move forward. I I can sum up, can summarize the, the debate in simplification. This is the debate right now. It's how to simplify the tax code because... Uh, there is no fiscal room for decreasing taxation right now, unfortunately. Our, our tax uh, rate is already uh, one of the highest among uh, developing economies, but there's no fiscal room for decreasing it. On the other hand, there is uh, a lot of room for decreasing uh, 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 the bureaucratic burden on companies. Uh, many multinational companies uh, that operate in like 100, con 100 countries, when they come to Brazil, they say that Brazil imposes uh, the highest burden on them. So if we are able to decrease that burden, we could attract more investments to Brazil and also make our companies more competitive internationally. So uh, most of the debates, even uh, among people that disagree right now and uh, across the, the, the political spectrum, left and right, everybody now agrees with simplifying the tax code not necessarily how to simplify. So that is the debate. Some people want e-tax. Uh, 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 e Some other people are against e-tax. Some people are for simplifying the income tax. Some other people are for uh, raising the income tax and decreasing uh, consumption tax. So there is uh, the debate is really complex because there, there are many also uh, interests, like the, the sectors that now have subsidies, they don't, they don't they want to keep their their subsidies right so the debate is quite complex politically difficult but the pension reform was also difficult and we finally got it in 2019 so i hope that we are we are able to to settle this debate on the tax reform in 2021 and uh, in terms of attracting foreign capital uh, I was recently looking at a report that Mexico surpassed Brazil for the first time as a, the major uh, recipient of foreign direct investment in Latin America. And uh, of course, it plunged because of the pandemic and all this is a very special scenario. But um, how can Brazil attract and, and become the leader again? You wrote a recent article uh, in the Brazilian press about public partnership, public-private partnerships. And can this be a tool to regain that competitive edge? Definitely, Daniel. PPPs are a very positive instrument. And in the past, they were controversial. 
many people on the left were against PPPs because they uh, uh, said they labeled the PPPs as selling the country to private uh, capital, selling the country to foreign companies and all that. Like covered privatization, something like that. Yeah, like privatizing uh, uh, everything, like uh, infrastructure and public services. So they were very against PPPs. But right now, uh, actually, the left-wing governors, especially in the state of Bahia, in in the state of Piauí, in Brazil, uh, states led by the left, are states that have uh, internationally uh, acknowledged projects, PPP projects. Just recently, a project in Piauí got a prize from the United Nations as the best PPP in the world. So PPP in a, in a left-wing governed state. And also there is another project, the Suburbia Hospital in Bahia, that also got international prizes. And it's also uh, uh, it was also implemented by a left-wing administration. So right now ppps are a very positive instrument because they're not controversial anymore they are very stable they they offer a very clear and stable opportunity for investments both in infrastructure such as sports airports railroads as i mentioned but also in public services there are many uh, schools right now they are running on PPPs and many hospitals right now they are running on PPPs and brazil uh, must increase their demand for both infrastructure and public services. So those two sectors uh, need uh, need more investors. And certainly there will be many projects that will have a good payoff. And how are these financed? Because we're talking about big projects, of course, infrastructure requires millions of dollars. Are these financed through um, public tenders or are they bonds emitted to uh, on the stock exchange? How is that process? How does it work? Usually a PPP contract uh, works like work like this. Uh, the government, uh, uh, federal or state government, uh, open open up a, a procedure and to private companies to to offer uh, to offer a, a bid in a specific uh, a service. So there is a hospital. So private companies can offer a bid saying how much they would invest in that hospital, how many people they would treat uh, and how many doctors they would hire and how, how uh, and what we'll also need to, to invest in terms of the hospital's infrastructure. So how many floors, how many people, how, how many people they would be able to, to uh, attend there. So actually, I would say that uh, there are many, many options right now because hospitals are one of them but also there, there are the infrastructure options. So there are roads and railroads. So you can charge the toll in the road, for instance. So you plan how, how, how much you need to invest in that road to keep it safe and sound for, for drivers. But on the other hand, you know that how many drivers uh, pass by your toll and how many you could, you could get. And you're usually, uh, in, when uh, the, in terms of the infrastructure projects, you you the private uh, money comes from the toll. On the other hand, in uh, the public service uh, projects, the money comes from the government that pays the companies. So those are the two two options right now, and, and depends on the design of the project and the design of the contract. 
In your opinion, what are other areas of reforms that Brazil should be pushing for, uh, be it at the federal, state level, or municipal level even? Uh, pretty good question. I think that there, there is a lot of room to reform, Daniel. Uh, Brazil uh, passed uh, decades without deep reforms, uh, first in the 1980s and 1990s, fighting inflation, uh, and later on uh, um, in a good 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 economic time, just increasing spending, increasing social policies and all that. But we didn't uh, uh, think about our productivity and that needed reforms. So the pension reform was the first one. Uh, now the tax reform is a must. We need a tax reform to increase our productivity and com the competitiveness of our companies. But I would say that it's to keep this uh, uh, idea of bringing partners to Brazil, bringing foreign investors to Brazil. This is the main thing. Right now, the federal government has this uh, idea and they also have a department called the PPI. Even I could complement my previous uh, response. The PPI is a department in the federal government that helps to structure good PPP project with state uh, governments too. So they have their own projects at the federal level, but if a, if a state wants to, to want a PPP for a, a state road or a state railroad or something like that, they can uh, help them structure that uh, project. So if you look at the PPI portfolio, you certainly see many good projects. So, and, and I would say that a must is Keep the idea of bringing foreign partners or of having more allies after the tax reform, because the tax reform is a must right now. It's number one. Perfect. So finally, uh, let me ask you, uh, from the perspective of uh, maybe an individual investor, and not as an institution, but as, as an individual, what are some areas that you think uh, have been overlooked and fly under the radar? and could grow over the next years. I mean, Brazil is a huge country. I, I always say it's like a continent in itself. And there are many regions with many thriving industries, mining, I mean, financial services where you are in Sao Paulo, and tourism is a huge industry. What, what, but what are the uh, overlooked opportunities in your opinion? Well, you mentioned tourism. It's a big one because the only, I would say that the only place that has an international level infrastructure for tourists is Rio. There are other places in Brazil that are beautiful, really beautiful, but that right now do not have uh, an international level infrastructure. So the northeast of Brazil is pretty beautiful. It's like the Caribbean, but it does not have the Caribbean infrastructure. So it will not attract the Caribbean uh, numbers uh, of tourists, right? The Brazilian South also pretty good. There's a lot of different culture. Like uh, there are cities founded by the Polish. There are cities founded by the Ukrainians. There, there is the largest Oktoberfest uh, outside Germany. So there's a lot of culture, a lot of different cultures there. And also, of course, the, the native cultures that we have. Uh, in Brazil. So there are a lot of culture that could, uh, uh, and also eco-tourism that uh, can, uh, uh, that is already attracting a lot of Brazilian tourists, especially because of the pandemic. Many people that would travel abroad now are traveling uh, uh, in Brazil. So, but in order to attract 
tourists from outside, we need infrastructure. So this is certainly one sector, but another sector is the agro. The agro-business sector is uh, very efficient, is very is growing. Uh, uh, although I mentioned that the Brazilian economy is not performing very well in the past uh, five, six years, uh, the agro is performing very well, is, is increasing. Uh, in some years, it increased its, uh, uh, by double digits. So it's really growing fast and it's, it needs more investors uh, to break into more markets. And also, uh, it also complements the infrastructure part because a huge problem of the agro right now is, uh, is delivering and also stocks and all that. So it needs infrastructure because the production is very efficient. But the rest is still lagging behind. So I would say the agro and the agro right now is in the uh, financial market. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities in the financial market right now for for investing in the agro. There's the there are immobiliary funds and also agro funds to quite new uh, products in the financial market that are growing fast, growing a lot, delivering a lot of profit, but uh, there is room for growth. There's still a lot of room for growth. Excellent. Well, uh, Mauricio, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and talking about Brazil. Uh, folks, I invite you all to follow Mauricio. He's on Twitter, uh, on LinkedIn, and maybe some other social media. You can find his work on the um, on, on our website. We'll include links to his uh, social media accounts and his profiles, his articles he's written. And of course, uh, please leave us your suggestions, your comments, what other topics you'd like us to cover, who else you'd like us to interview. And we'll join you next month with another episode of the Economericas podcast.